It's Friday, November 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Prices were up 6.2% last month, which is the largest rise in 30 years. Inflation is making everything more expensive, and the era of cheap everything is over. Supply chain issues continue to be the main culprit for most of our post-pandemic woes, but inflation could wipe away wage gains and savings that many Americans are now having to spend. Kevin Dugan, reporter at New York Magazine, joins us for how everything is costing more. Next, Thanksgiving is quickly approaching and we are hearing that it will be more expensive than in years past, and also that there might be a turkey shortage. The expensive part is true, but there won't be a mass shortage of turkeys. Rather, it might be difficult to find the turkey you want. Last year, small birds were all the rage because of smaller family gatherings. This year, it's all about the mid-sized birds. Emily Stewart, senior reporter at Vox, joins us for why you should start shopping now. Finally, electric vehicle company Rivian Automotive just went public, and it's proving to be a very attractive stock, netting about $12 billion on an $80 billion valuation. Rivian has had a slower and more deliberate approach to its rollout, which will also be a good test of the meme stock craze that has lifted various companies' value. Andrew Hawkins, transportation reporter at The Verge, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. There are estimates that I've seen put around uh, $2.5 trillion extra was saved at the beginning of the pandemic. So that means that companies know that people can spend a lot of money. Joining us now is Kevin Dugan, reporter at New York Magazine. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Sure. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about inflation. It's uh, the big concern of the week, it seems like. We got some new numbers saying that prices rose 6.2% in October. This is compared with last year. This is the largest rise we've seen in three decades. And, you know, we're seeing it all over the place. We're seeing all the stories. Prices for everything is going up. Uh, Food, home goods, rent is going up. Everything's happening all at once right now. And, you know, the era of cheap everything could very well be over. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about this. Right now, we are looking at price increases happening across the board because we have a lot of problems with the supply chain. And there are a lot of people who have a lot of money. They have a lot of money saved up because they got to work from home and they got to save their stimulus checks and they weren't going out so much. There are estimates that I've seen put around uh, $2.5 trillion extra was saved wow. at the beginning of the pandemic. So that means that companies know that people can spend a lot of money. We're talking about consumers here. Consumers make up two-thirds of the economy. So the reason why we're seeing this in some ways is because companies know that they can charge more and people will pay. And, you know, we've seen wages go up as well in certain cases. And uh, so some of those gains are just kind of being wiped out by all these higher prices now. Wages have gone up a little bit, not as much as people are seeing in the grocery store or at the gas station, right? Uh, Gas is up almost 50%. And it's going to get worse because fuel oil, oil that people use to heat their houses is up even more. So, you know, a lot of people have seen their wages increase because they changed jobs or because they were in the position to demand more money from their employers. But one of the problems here is whether this is going to continue to outpace how much people are 
getting paid. And it effectively means that people have gotten less money over the past year. What we're hearing is that the supply chain issues are going to go well into 2022. So does that mean that inflation, the high inflation that we're experiencing now is going to last that long as well? Well, part of the reason why inflation is up so much is because last year at this time, things were still pretty flat, right? We're still dealing with prices going down during the pandemic economy. So look, it remains to be seen how much this uh, will, uh, how much prices will rise or how long it will go. But if it continues at this rate, that would be very alarming. Biden has said that this is a major priority for him. In fact, it's such a priority that in the middle of the environmental summit going on, he is urging the OPEC countries to produce more oil <laughs> right, exactly. because he, right. I mean, it, it's a political liability for him. People need to fill up their cars. And even though your car might be, it's, well, it's probably worth more than it's ever been worth. Most people can't just sell it. They need it. So it is a big political liability for Biden, but there's no quick fix to it. Yeah. it this is a global problem. What are some of the traditional remedies we have to fight in inflation? Well, they're not very fun. It's increasing interest rates. It's making it more expensive to borrow. It's making it more expensive to take out a mortgage. Um, Those are all the things so, that we've been keeping low up until this point. Exactly. When Paul Volcker was the head of the Fed, he spiked interest rates as you know, deliberately as a way to shock the economy out of with the inflationary pressures that were, you know, making it so difficult to go grocery shopping to to buy food for your family, and it was very controversial at the time. But it ultimately did work to some extent, uh, to a, a very large extent, even though there were you know other repercussions that uh, went along with it. So it's probably not what the Biden administration would like to do, but that remains to be seen. But you did mention, you know, in the article, there are some other positive signs for the economy as well. Hiring is strong and a couple other things. You, you know, we talked about people saving up more money. So there are some good signs still, at least. It's just this is the one thing. I mean, this is one of the big things we've got to get under control. This is not like the 1970s, right? We have unemployment that is getting much lower. We are coming out of a, a very quick recession people's wages are rising. And, you know, despite the fact that there are these supply chain issues, we're not seeing gas lines. People are able to, to get food, maybe just not exactly what they want when they want it. So it's manageable at this point, it looks like. Kevin Dugan, reporter at New York Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. You might need to deal with leftovers, right? Like you just kind of, you know, in the same way you were supposed to get the COVID shot that you could, that you could find, get the turkey that you can find. And so if you have to deal with leftovers, like learn to love turkey leftovers. Joining us now is Emily Stewart, senior reporter at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about Thanksgiving. Everybody pretty much agrees that this Thanksgiving is going to be more expensive than it has been in years past. But we're also hearing things about possible turkey shortages, things like that. You did a, a deep dive into, into all this, seeing what's going on. 
It doesn't really seem like there will be less turkeys. Everybody should be able to get one. There's a, a, an important distinction, though. You, uh, they might not be as easy to get at the grocery store than they have been, and it might not be the turkey that you want, but you should be able to get something still. So, uh, Emily, let's walk through some of this, and, and what are we seeing with uh, turkeys for Thanksgiving? So one of the economists that I talked to about this kind of put this in a way that I thought was good, which was we don't have a turkey shortage. It's not like farmers forgot to start raising turkeys. What's happening is that there are all these different disruptions on the supply chain that basically mean that it's not that there aren't any turkeys. It's that the turkeys are in the wrong places at the wrong time in some instances, right? Across industry, across industry, we hear stories about supply chain issues, about trucking, about labor shortages. This is happening in the turkey industry. You know, the way a turkey kind of processing works, it grows at the farm, it goes to a processor, then it, you know, it gets shipped to storage or back or to a store. So what's going on there is that at the processing plants, like we've seen at plenty of meat packing plants, uh, they're having a hard time finding workers. They're having a hard time finding labor. That's slowing things down. There has been an issue with, with transit and with trucking, Again, across multiple industries, turkeys are not immune to that. So maybe it's just more expensive to get the turkey from point A to point B. So that's some of the stuff that's going on in terms of like whether or not you're going to see the turkeys on the shelves. And there's also sort of different com- consumer trends that kind of grocers aren't quite sure what people are going to want. If you think back yeah. to last year, you know, people were still getting turkeys, but they were gathering in smaller groups. So people wanted smaller turkeys. Maybe before you were getting a turkey for 20 people, now you're getting four turkeys for five people. Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things because, uh, you know, the farmers and everybody, people that you spoke to, you know, they're basically having to guess what that number will be, what size birds people are going to want. And uh, as, you know, kind of what we're we're saying, there's not going to be a shortage of turkeys. It's just they're having to guess what kind of turkey you might want, seeing as how the pandemic kind of flipped everything on its head. Exactly. And they think maybe this year that people will be, you know, gathering in bigger groups again, wanting bigger turkeys, mid-sized turkeys. You know, I talked to one grocer who was like, I'm having the opposite problem of last year. I have these small turkeys. But at the same time, you know, a lot of kind of the industry groups are pushing, like, you might need to deal with leftovers, right? Like you just kind of, you know, in the same way you were supposed to get the COVID shot that you could, <laughs> that you can find, get the turkey that you can find. And so if you have to deal with leftovers, like learn to love turkey leftovers. Let's talk a little bit about costs. You mentioned some of it already with the supply chain issues. The shipping costs are pretty crazy right now. To move anything around the country is much more expensive, but also feeding the turkeys has become more expensive. We're looking at rising corn and soybean costs for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely been more expensive to get the turkeys grown and to the store. Um, and prices are up. You know, one farmer I talked to said, listen, I'm passing a little bit of those prices on to my customers in the grocery store, but not all of them. I think an interesting kind of wrinkle to point out here, an important one maybe, is that turkeys are a loss leader for grocery stores, which means they're not making a bunch of money off of, of turkeys. The idea is that they give you some sort of a deal entice you with the turkey so that you walk into the store and buy your entire Thanksgiving meal um, at the store. So it's not quite clear yet, at least anybody I talked to, you know, if the discounts were going to be there, if turkeys are going to be super expensive this year or not. But that being said, everything else that you buy for your Thanksgiving meal is probably going to be a little bit pricier because everything's pricier. There's an estimated 46 million turkeys that are eaten on each Thanksgiving day in the U.S. Nine in 10 Americans eat turkey So uh, the demand is there. And and all of this is to say, really, start 
getting that turkey now, whether it's a frozen one and you want to get that right size and keep it. If you're going to get a fresh one, good luck ordering one, right? But but you got to start now. Uh, you can't really wait till the week before to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, just in general lately and the same thing you hear about Shop for the Holidays now. You know, one person that I talked to here in New York in Queens um, who runs kind of a meat store also said, you know, be nice to the workers. Like, obviously, holidays are a stressful time, but a lot of these people were essential workers. They worked the whole pandemic. They want you to have a nice Thanksgiving and, like, at least this year, we can probably safely gather a little bit more than we could last year. So it's okay if it's not the turkey of your dreams. Emily Stewart, senior reporter at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Retail investors are, are buying and selling their shares at an exorbitant rate, sort of similar to what we've seen over the past few months with other companies like GameStop and AMC. Joining us now is Andrew Hawkins, transportation reporter at The Verge. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Thanks for having me. wanted to talk about Rivian Automotive. They have been called a, a possible Tesla killer. They're a very hotly anticipated public debut, just came this past week. As I mentioned, uh, some of them are called a, a Tesla killer. So they're basically an electric vehicle company, uh, a pure play electric vehicle company. That's all they're planning on making. And I believe their vehicles are going to start shipping out at the end of the year, early next year. But uh, you wrote an interesting article about how this IPO is a good test of the meme stock craze. We've seen Tesla kind of be elevated to this meme stock status and other companies and people just pouring all sorts of money into it. So tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, sure. So it was a really kind of dramatic debut that Rivian had yesterday with their IPO. They raked in about $12 billion on an $80 billion valuation. And the company's stock is still continuing to do quite well. And I think right now it's worth more than GM and Ford put together. Uh, They're valued around $104 billion, I think, at this point. Uh, So it's a really kind of just uh, insane valuation for a company that, like you mentioned, hasn't started delivering vehicles to its customers yet. And so I thought it would be interesting to sort of take a look at how obviously people make all these comparisons between Rivian and Tesla. And Tesla is obviously an interesting case because, you know, they dominate the EV market, but they have also sort of taken on this new status over the past year and a half where retail investors are are buying and selling their shares at an exorbitant rate, sort of similar to what we've seen over the past few months with other companies like GameStop and AMC as a way to sort of, you know, kind of like, flip off the institutional investors, Wall Street as like, you know, they're sort of banding together on these apps like Robinhood and they're gathering in places like Reddit and they're discussing ways that they can sort of use their sort of market power to boost companies that aren't traditionally thought of as, you know, sort of fast growing companies. And Tesla has sort of become one of those companies as well. Obviously, they, they make a very popular product. But at the same time, Elon Musk has become sort of the standard bearer of kind of this new face of investing. Uh, you know, he tweets a lot about about cryptocurrency, and that really drives a lot of activity right. in that market. And so, you know, he has sort of taken on the status of sort of like, you know, he's become sort of like the leader of the meme stock investors. And so I thought it would be interesting to take a look at Rivian as a similar company, also making, you know, only electric vehicles. 
and they've sort of gone a much more traditional route. They've gone, you know, traditional IPO. They've got, you know, institutional investors like Ford and Amazon behind them. And so it's going to be really interesting to see over the next few months or so how Rivian stock compares to Tesla, because I think anyone can tell you right now, Tesla is very overvalued at this point. Elon Musk has actually started selling off millions of shares worth of stock just this week. Yeah, um, that. And that's, you know, having some effect on the on the share price. But it's I think it's going to be really interesting to sort of watch as these two companies sort of move from this point in tandem and how one can be sort of compared to the other. Is it beneficial for the company to be achieve that kind of that meme stock status? I mean, I think it's clearly it's been beneficial to Elon Musk. He's the richest man in the world, sort of trading spots with with Jeff Bezos. Uh, but, you know, obviously he's seen his own net worth increase exponentially as a result of the uh, of the interest from investors in his company. And we've also seen that as well for for companies like like I mentioned, GameStop and AMC and some of these others. But yes, there is obviously a huge downside to this. There's a lot of volatility in the price. A lot can happen when, you know, sort of like the value of your of your stock holdings are sort of tied to the whims of one person and, and their and their Twitter account. And, you know, when Musk tweets something about Tesla being overvalued, share prices tumble and a lot of people can lose money. So it is a very risky position to occupy. And I think sort of depending on what kind of company you are, you know, I think if you're a small startup, like we've seen some of these other electric vehicle startups like Nikola and Lucid come on the seed and try to sort of leverage this interest in electric vehicle stock and Tesla kind of trying to ride the Tesla coattails a little bit. I think Irvian is proving you don't necessarily need to ride behind Tesla in order to generate uh, a lot of money for your shareholders. And so I think that that's sort of interesting to see in contrast how they're how they're making that work for their folks. The trucks that and the SUV that they have for Rivian look pretty stylish. They look kind of cool. But the true test, obviously, as we mentioned, is going to be when they start rolling out. You know, making a, a car uh, in the United States is an incredibly expensive and difficult thing to do, especially when you're starting from scratch. Rivian has a little bit of uh, leeway. They've existed for since 2009. People haven't really heard about them until just recently, but they have been around for a long time. And they have spent a lot of that time raising capital um, from major investors. And they were one of the best capitalized startups right now in the, in the country. And now that they're a public company, they've netted all this extra cash from going public. And that's really going to help them sort of put, you know, sort of uh, move the ball further down the field when it comes to tooling up, getting production going, getting assembly lines online. They want to build a second factory in addition to the factory they have currently in uh, in Indiana. And they have a bunch of new vehicles coming out. In addition to this truck that you mentioned, they also have an SUV in pre-production right now. And they're making delivery vans, electric delivery vans for Amazon, who the, that company owns 20% yeah. of Rivian. So obviously, Rivian's fortunes in future are tied directly to Amazon. And uh, there are worse partners that you can have in this country <laughs> exactly. than, than a, a company like Amazon's. Yeah. So they seem to have a pretty bright future ahead of them, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that is because they've taken this more traditional path than opting for something that's a little bit more risky than like some of the other companies have done. Andrew Hawkins, transportation reporter at The Verge. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dev Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.